asteroids, comets, meteors, meteorites. The natural objects in space are generally just fine. After all, it's their natural environment. But when it comes to human-made objects, space is harsh. For the third episode of the Space Antenna Makers, we met an engineer specialized in dealing with that harshness, Matthias Nicole, MSc. After working on a payload for the International Space Station at Airbus Defense and Space, Matthias was well equipped to join AnyWaves. As a mechanical and thermal engineer, the challenging lifestyle of an antenna in orbit holds no secrets for him. Obviously, the first stage is to design and manufacture the antenna. But when we talk about the environments through which the antenna will go, the first thing that really comes into mind is storage. And this storage is important because you need to wait for the antenna to be delivered to the client. And then the antenna has to be mounted on the satellite. The satellite has to be brought to the launch pad and mounted on the rocket. And so during these different events, the antenna will go through different storage environments and has to sustain it. So even while the antenna is still on Earth, the environment can pose a threat. So most of the time, the antenna will be stored in what we call clean rooms. There are rooms where the atmosphere and the environment is controlled. Basically, you control the humidity, you control the temperature. But sometimes you can have your antenna mounted onto the launch pad on a launcher, for example. If the antenna is mounted on a launch pad in Kourou in French Guiana, the environment will be really moist and into heat and humidity as well. So this is a different environment that the antenna has to sustain. So storage constraints before launch but what about perhaps the most spectacular episode in an antenna's life? Once the antenna is mounted onto the rocket, of course, comes the time of liftoff. And this is a very crucial phase for the antenna because most of the mechanical solicitations comes from liftoff. Basically, there are different types of mechanical solicitations that occur during this period. First of all, you have accelerations. So the rocket is gaining speed. It goes from zero to 7.5 kilometer per second in a few minutes. And so the rocket accelerates and these accelerations are obviously seen by the antenna also. So these accelerations can go from zero to up to 50 Gs. And uh, we have to take this into account during designing and testing. And then, uh, apart from acceleration, we also have vibrations that propagate into the rocket structure up to the fairing where the satellite is mounted and up to the antenna. And there are different types of vibrations. The first one is sinusoidal, so it's low-frequency vibrations that come from the unsteadiness of the combustion in the rocket engine. These vibrations are generally between uh, 0 and 120 Hz. It's low-frequency. Another source of vibration is random vibrations. It's a bit higher frequencies, uh, between 20 and 2000 Hertz. They are generated usually by aerodynamic forces acting on the rocket structure. So basically aerodynamic flutter when the launcher skin vibrates due to friction with the air during ascent. Again, these vibrations are transferred through the structure up to the antenna and the antenna has to sustain it. Another point is the depressurization that occurs during liftoff because when the rocket ascends, uh, the pressure diminishes 
and so the air has to go out of the antenna in a depressurization process. And sometimes if the air can't go fast enough outside the antenna, it can generate some pressure difference between the inner and the outer parts of the antenna. And this can lead to mechanical constraints as well. So this is a point that we address in simulation only, but through simulation, we are able to say that these pressure differences will be small enough in order to not generate any mechanical constraints. And possibly even more spectacular, in fact, there's that crucial moment when the rocket splits into its different parts. Then comes another important point, shocks occurring during stage separation and fairing separation. So we have pyrotechnic balls that explode to separate the different parts of the rockets, and these shocks propagate into the structure to the antenna again. And uh, this can be quite challenging to take into account during design because we are not able to simulate them on a computer, so we have to test them and the tests are quite impressive. And that brought us to testing. Of course, it's all well and good knowing about these challenges, but the knowledge in itself isn't enough. Nobody's going to send an antenna into space with purely theoretical proof that it's going to be okay. So the testing here on Earth is key. We need to be representative of the space environment and the liftoff environment on Earth. So we use different test means to do that. We talked about the storage. So to reproduce storage, for example, on a launch pad in French Guiana, we make what we call moist heat test. So this can be compared to aging test or accelerated life test. So the idea is to submit the materials to the environment that the antenna will see on the launch pad and accelerate the test so that you don't have to wait like for two years of storage. So you need to be quicker than that. And for example, the humidity test employs a 95% humidity environment in a climate chamber. The antenna is raised to 50 degrees and you wait for a week in this environment uh, in order to reproduce the possible corrosion effects that can occur in the antenna. Regarding the mechanical solicitation, so we want to test accelerations, uh, vibrations and shocks. Uh, for this, we use two different test means. The first one is what we call the shaker. It's basically like a loudspeaker. So you put the antenna on the membrane of your speaker and you send electrical signals into it and it makes the antenna vibrates. And through these vibrations, you can reproduce the accelerations we talked about, the sinusoidal vibrations and the random vibrations. But what about the pyrotechnic bolts that explode in order to separate the different parts of the rocket after liftoff? I asked Matthias Nicole whether that part of the process could be properly imitated too. We can reproduce it in real life conditions. And for this, there are different test means that exist. The first one would be to shoot a projectile on a plate and the impact will reproduce the shock that occurs during stage separation, for example. Another mean will be use a mass on a pendulum that hit a beam and you mount the antenna on a beam and the shock is transferred to the antenna this way. But what about testing resilience faced with the extreme temperatures antennas encounter in space? So on Earth, we use what we call the thermal vacuum chamber. It's a chamber in which we reproduce the vacuum that we have in space. So we pump all the air out of the chamber. This is really important to get rid of the convection heat transfer that can occur on Earth, but not in space. On Earth, we have air around us and air is a mean of transferring heat. For example, if you want to remove heat from your hot fork before putting it in your mouth, you need to blow on it and you will extract heat from your fork with air. 
And this is just not possible in space because there is no air. So we have to take this into account on ground when testing and remove all the air of the chamber. Once the air is removed, we go through thermal cycling. So basically we decrease and increase the temperature in a cycles to reproduce what the antenna could see in orbit when facing the sun or in eclipses. And of course, once the antenna is actually out in space doing its job, conditions don't get any easier. Matthias explained precisely why that thermal testing he talked about is so necessary. The satellite starts to orbit, and so the antenna will see now the space environment, so it's in vacuum, a deep vacuum. So basically the antenna will now be submitted to a severe thermal environment because the antenna is mounted on one face of the satellite. And depending on the satellite attitude, so its orientation in space, the antenna will see the sun directly or the earth directly, and it will be submitted to different fluxes. So solar fluxes, uh, solar rays hitting directly the antenna, or solar rays reflected on earth and coming back to the antenna, what is called albedo. It's particularly important over the polar caps because the ice reflects the sun. And it can also be submitted to IR fluxes, so infrared emissions from the Earth, electromagnetic waves that transfer heat to the antenna. So in this environment, the antenna will be submitted to severe thermal gradients because depending on what the antenna sees, if it's directly against the sun or in Earth shadow during eclipses, the temperature can rise or go really down. Usually our antennas at anyways are qualified to minus 120 to plus 120 degrees Celsius. This is the kind of gradients that we can see in the sun or in the shadow around the Earth. But the harshness of space certainly isn't limited to temperature. Space is harsh for some other reasons. One of them would be the atox environment, so it's atomic oxygen. It's free molecular oxygen atoms that are floating into space and that are chemically active. So when they hit the antenna, they can degrade some materials chemically. So we need to address this point by making sure that this atox does not degrade the materials on the antenna. And we have some special paint and coatings to do so. And the data collected on harsh conditions, such as atomic oxygen or atox, allows the designers to best protect future equipment. This was analyzed with samples sent onto the International Space Station and they came back on Earth for further analysis. And so now we have some data that we can use to foresee the degradations that can occur on the materials. And the thermo-optical behavior of the materials is another essential parameter. We also have ultraviolet light coming from the sun that can degrade the thermo-optical properties of materials. So this will affect how the antenna will absorb the energy from the sun, for example. And more generally, radiation in space is a significant issue. Uh, the problem with radiation is heavy particles, electrons, ions, protons, that hit the antenna and can go through materials and deep into electronics. And so when we have electronics on board an antenna, this is a point we really need to be careful about because these particles and these radiations can alter the performances of the antenna by switching, for example, bits in transistors from zero to one and can create some, what we call single event upset. 
So for active parts of antennas, we need to be really careful about what components we use, how resistant they are against radiation. And when we are not sure about them, we need to test them on the ground. This is quite hard to do because we need to recreate cosmic rays, basically, and hit those components with them. To do so, we use beams of protons or heavy ions, and we shoot them directly on components and see how they react. So clearly, making satellite antennas that stand up to the many huge environmental challenges encountered in space involves a great deal of highly specialized science and engineering. But for the last three years, Matthias has also been working on an arguably even more demanding project. This project was called Callisto and is still ongoing. Callisto is a demonstrator of reusable rocket stage. The project is led by CNES, with conjunction with DLR, the German Space Agency, and JAXA, the Japanese Space Agency. And the idea is to make the first stage of a rocket that could be reusable, that could be sent into space and come back on Earth. For this launcher, we needed antennas, and the CNES uh, came to us. And so the constraints were quite different from the one we used to see for satellites, because the antennas are mounted on the skin of the launcher, so they see the environment during ascent. And these environments are particularly harsh in terms of mechanical vibrations. We had to test our antennas up to 43 GRMS, which is the highest vibration levels we have passed for our antennas. And we also had to design thermal protections for the antenna to be protected from the exhaust of the engines when the rocket stage comes back on Earth during re-entry. And we had to make sure that this thermal shield would not affect too much the performances of the antennas. And it was a huge challenge we passed with some problems. We broke some antennas during mechanical testings and we had to redesign them, robustify them and make sure they would fit for rocket environments. And that was really interesting. It has been a success. The antennas have just passed acceptance testing now and they are ready for delivery. So now that we've really heard just how harsh space really is, it's reassuring to know that the experts are gathering and using the data to keep the essential equipment up there safe and functional. If you followed this whole series of podcasts, by now you should be ready for episode four, where we'll be discussing specific specimens with Louis Maginot, MSC. Specific specimens are extra special antennas, often limited editions or even one-offs, designed for very specific purposes. Intriguing, I know. So watch this space, then tune in for that special episode. Until next time, thanks for listening to us here at the Space Antenna Makers. Bye for now.